Welcome to Court of Opinion. I am Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We are almost at the end of the season here. We are closing in on who's going to be contest contending for the NBA Finals. We got some new faces for coaches. Uh, we'll talk about the overall what conference final teams. Got some changes in the front office. Uh, we'll talk about these young stars who have been dominating the league all season, especially in the playoffs. And then lastly, what's the verdict? Uh, all right, so we got some new faces here. We got Ime Udoka to the Celtics, Jason Kidd to the Mavericks, and Chauncey Billups to Portland. So overall, uh, let's talk about these coaching fits. Which hire do you like the most? Which hire do you like the least? Or, or do you think they're all good candidates? Well, obviously, I think that um, the Jason Kidd fit in the Mavericks situation is perfect. Um, it's almost like something written completely out of a story. It's almost Jason like somebody Kidd. on this podcast called this last week. Yeah, no, it's true. Weren't we talking about this? We literally predicted this. But um, no, it's it's a literally uh, a hand-in-glove fit. I mean, you have Jason Kidd, who already is very familiar and beloved within the Mavericks organization, um, winning a title with Turk Nowitzki, um, arguably the greatest Maverick of all time. And now he picks up this Mavericks team with a generational talent in Luka Doncic who had a lot of similarities um, in the way that he played. Jason Kidd himself was a point guard, triple-double machine, who was very multidimensional throughout his career. So I think that he's going to be great at knowing how to develop a game plan that best maximizes um, Lucas' talents. I think the biggest thing is going to be, can the front office basically put the pieces in place to properly complement him going forward? That's the biggest question. Luca himself has come out and questioned the front office. We, we covered this before, but we know that there's that situation with the shadow GM that the Mavericks have, um, that close friend of Mark Cuban who doesn't officially have a position, but is very analytics-driven and seems to somehow be able to influence higher-level decisions in their management, uh, much to the dislike of Luka Doncic. So it'll now remain to be seen if this new coaching change, which clearly is a step in the right direction, I think will be enough to get the Mavericks to be able to compete and maximize the talent that they have with Luka Doncic. Um, Chauncey Billups in Portland, that's, I think, a pretty good fit. I think surprising to me in, in the sense that I thought Chauncey Billups was going to be more of a front office guy. Um, he had always kind of like hinted at being more interested in a front office role. But as far as the coaching situation, it does make sense. Chauncey Billups, one of the great point guards of all time, um, taking over to coach Damian Lillard, one of the greatest point guards of this generation, will likely be a first ballot Hall of Famer himself. I think that he'll be able to game plan great. One of the biggest criticisms of Terry Stotts was that he never made adjustments. He basically just ran a bunch of ISO, just, hey, Damian, hey, CJ, break down the defense, do your thing. I think Chauncey Billups, um, having played the point guard position and being a great leader and ball distributor, is going to be a lot better at situational basketball. And if they can get some different pieces, I think that they can maybe take this team to the next notch. But I think it's largely going to be dependent on can they get something for CJ McCollum that will complement Damian. Because even with the addition of Chauncey Billups, I don't think you can really get much more out of this team if the roster stays the way it's constructed. Um, you do it to the Celtics. It's interesting. There's other candidates out there that you – maybe would have thought ahead of, but he's a product of Popovich. He's a guy who's highly respected within the league. He's been in a lot of winning situations. 
Um, he's been around guys that have won championships and been a part of championships himself as a player. So he does bring a winning pedigree to the Celtics. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be nice to see if um, he can win over Jason Tatum and what he's going to look like taking over the reins fully um, as a head coach. But overall, I think they were all solid hires. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they were all honestly uh, very, very great hires. Um, I think with uh, Ime Udoka to the Celtics, um, I, as I look more into this guy, I find more and more that he's a fit there. I think that he, uh, based off of everything that I've read, he's a great player coach. So he's going to help cultivate that younger team overall. They still, I think, average age has to be around 24, 25 on that team. So overall, very young team. Um, and I think he's going to relate to them, has some championship experience, obviously was in the great Spurs system overall with Popovich. Uh, so I think just overall solid hire there. Um, also has experience coaching experience coaching stars with his stop at the 76ers as well as his stop in the net, on the Nets last season. And then with Jason Kidd to the Mavericks, I called this last week. I knew that this was going to happen. I mean, it was really, I feel like I didn't look at the odds on this, but Vegas had to have put this at like a minus 10,000 to one situation because like th this was going to happen. This was poetry in motion. Um, you had Rick Carlisle leaving and saying, this is who I advocate for. You have Dirk Nowitzki coming back and saying, yeah, that's my old teammate. I want him there. Um, and obviously Mark Cuban is a big relationship heavy guy. So he gets to get somebody who he's familiar with um, and who overall had some decent success as a coach. I know he didn't do everything that they wanted him to do in Milwaukee. It was in Giannis' early uh, years that he was the coach there, but he did experience that one season of success with the Nets when Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry went over there. He's had some now time to work with LeBron James Anthony Davis uh, and others on the Lakers. So I think that he's going to be coming in as a more mature coach, as a coach that has more years under his belt. Um, and then to your point is going to be a great uh, role model for Luca of this is how you play the game. This is how you go about this. This is how you see things. And I think it's going to open up and elevate Luca to that next level, but going to the front office piece. So Nico Harrison, who was from Nike is going to be the GM now for the Mavs. And looking into him more, he seems to be very well connected throughout the league. And you're starting to see more of these things happen in a lot of leagues. It's not just in basketball, but in football and baseball, that there are people from other organizations that are taking on uh, these GM positions. So um, you have guys in football who are in the broadcast booth going to GM positions. You have um, people who are in large companies that had affiliations to these sports leagues taking on these positions, or you have former sports agents like Rob Palinka going into uh, the GM role. And so I, I think what that allows is you don't have the same box that you've been living in of, Hey, let's climb through the ranks. Let's become an assistant GM, then a GM. And so since you're not boxed in and only dealing with one team's matter, you're able to have a much wider network and cast um, just a wider sphere of influence on all of these players, the agents, the coaches. So Nico Harrison comes in with already a lot of well-established relationships with stars like Damian Lillard and others. 
Um, he also comes in with probably experience working with a lot of different colleges as well as all of these different NBA teams because of the fact that Nike does sponsor the league as well as so many colleges and players. So I think it's a great hire overall and it gives them a different perspective. And also for that shadow GM or that person who's well-versed in analytics over at the Mavs, it probably gives them somebody who is more accustomed to using analytics, given he was working for a large corporation rather than somebody who's come up through the ranks of a typical NBA GM route. So they'll be more at the forefront of those technologies. Um, and lastly, with Chauncey Billups going to Portland, um, again, I think there's a rock star hire. I thought Chauncey was actually going to go to the Celtics, but it actually makes more sense that he's going to go to Portland because Damian Lillard pretty much said, I want Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups. He gets Chauncey. I know some people out there were disappointed that either D'Antoni or Becky Hammond didn't get it, but I really think Becky Hammond is being held uh, in like similar to what you see with Josh McDaniels with the Patriots of like Popovich saying, if you leave – you may or may not stay with that team, but if you stay for another couple of years, I don't know when I'm going to retire yet, but like I'm giving you the reins after this and I've been here for 20 plus years. So like continue to grow and cultivate your career here because I see you as the next person. I really do th see her as the next Spurs coach. So I don't see her leaving. Um, and then Mike D'Antoni, I mean, he's great for uh, obviously making offensive flourish uh, offenses flourish. I think the Blazers problem definitely wasn't on the offensive side. I think it was on the defensive end of the ball. Chauncey's known for that. So I think he'll have a great relationship with Dame and, and really help bring out that defensive prowess for not just Dame, but everybody on that team. Yeah, I got to agree with that. And also on the Mavericks end, I think to smooth over the whole relationship situation with Luca, they brought in JJ Barea as an assistant coach, which is one of Luca's good friends. So I think that that'll help um, build a with, little more uh, trust. And played with Jason Kidd. And so. played with Jason Kidd. So another another hand in glove fit. Mm -hmm. So all around, um, tip of the cap to all these organizations making great hires. But moving on, brink of elimination. The Clippers are now in an elimination game five without Kawhi Leonard. Will they live to play a game six? What do you think? So the, the, the logic in me says absolutely not. Suns are going to destroy them. Um, but the, the last game, really no offense was created. 84 to 80 was the lowest scoring game of the season um, in a league that's averaging about 110 to 115 points per game. You really don't see that anymore. And so I think it's going to come down to are the Suns uh, getting open shots and are they knocking them down? Um, I, I think that's going to be the storyline for tonight. I think Paul George is playing extremely inspired basketball and talking about Chauncey Billups. I feel he's uh, been the key part that's unlocked Paul George's game this season overall, as well as Ty Lue's adjustments. Um, and then also Reggie Jackson has been an X factor in the playoffs. So I think if those two come out and show out as they've done in the last games and the Suns experience some trouble knocking it down overall, if Jay Crowder has a slump or uh, Devin Booker has another slump, then we could be looking at a game six. I don't think that unless Kawhi comes back, they have a chance to come back from 3-1. Uh, you heard Chris Paul say, I don't want to talk about 3-1 because of his terrible luck with it overall. Um, but I, I would say it's a 65-35 uh, in favor of the Suns tonight. 
Um, so not not a for sure closeout, but I think the Suns take it. Yeah, in my mind, I obviously would love to pick the Suns to just close this one out because that is what my gut tells me, and that's what makes the most sense. But I get the feeling that the game, I don't want to say that it's going to be handed to the Clippers, but I think that it'll be called favorably for them to where if they can keep it close, I think that they'll edge them out just to make the series a little more interesting, maybe give Kawhi one more game to maybe come back for dramatic game six, which would probably have amazing implications for ratings and for the league. Um, but I, I really do think that they've been close. Um, it hasn't been a lopsided series by any means. There's been a lot of mental lapses, missed free throws at the end that have cost the Clippers games that could have easily went their way if they would have just had a little bit better late game execution. So it's not really out of the realm of possibility to think that they can eke one out and force a game six. So I'm going to predict that outcome. But speaking on Reggie Jackson, an interesting stat, Reggie Jackson, who has been really underrated for a lot of his career, has done something really interesting this postseason. He's averaged on 17.8 points per game. 48.7% shooting from the field, 40.6% from three, and 88% from the free throw. The only other player who's been able to average those averages over at least 17 playoff games played is Larry Bird. Wow. So, I mean, obviously Larry Bird was doing it at like 28 points per game, but it still speaks to Reggie Jackson's efficiency this postseason. And honestly, he stepped up huge for this team. They would not have a shot if it wasn't for him because with Ka Kawhi Leonard missing these games, he's had to take on a bigger role. And kudos to him. He's really been able to step into that role and flourish in it. Yeah, and a couple things on that. Like Reggie Jackson and Cameron Payne both seemed bound for international ball or – um, just relegated overall to a completely bench role with maybe two minutes a game. Um, and they've really come into their own on their respective teams. Um, hats off to them and the coaching staff for really realizing the potential that people saw when they first drafted them. And then obviously they had a bit of a lapse for a couple of years, um, but good for them for, for sticking to it. Um, I think the, the crazy thing thinking about this Clippers team is they don't have Kawhi Leonard and they didn't have him uh, for the end of the jazz series. And they handedly won that game six. Um, and they, like you said, they've been a free throw or two away from some of these games or last game. Uh, I think they were, it was 82 to 80. And then Chris Paul knocked down two free throws to close the game to, so they've been in a one possession game to close out these games, missing one of the top five players in the league. And so you, you think about that from if they had Kawhi Leonard and if they were at full strength, it'd be really hard to say that this team uh, couldn't go all the way and win the ship. Yeah, honestly, if you're the Clippers, this is the thing. Like, if you're a Clippers fan, you have to realize this postseason was probably realistically your best chance of winning it all. You had, at least for the most of it, both of your stars healthy and most of the rest of the West had either injuries or situations that facilitated you to get to this position. So I think that they realize that this is a very, very critical moment. 
Um, but a thing that is pretty interesting about this situation, and I want to get your opinion on it. Most players, when they're injured during playoff games, will typically sit at least on the bench with their team in street clothes or pretty close to it and at least be with their team. Kawhi Leonard, on the other hand, is up there in the box area, in the seats with all the fans, way away from the rest of the team. Is that just, you know, Kawhi being Kawhi and there's not really anything to look into it? Or is it a telling sign that he doesn't really feel as connected with this team as you may hope if you're a Clippers fan? Because with his free agency impending and him potentially choosing to opt out, this is something that probably if I'm a Clippers fan and I'm looking at this, I'm a little bit worried about his on-court demeanor, why he's not sitting with the team. He doesn't even seem to be engaged during the game. Mike Breen famously called him out um, and said, look at Kawhi Leonard's excitement when Paul George hit a really timely bucket. And he, he basically just looked like he wasn't even really looking at the game. So you got to wonder, is Kawhi Leonard in that same mental state where he was with the Spurs, where he had already moved on before he moved on? I, I don't know, because the, here's the thing. If, so, for example, he's not traveling with the team because they say, which I, I can understand, like the flight back and forth will uh, impede his recovery because it like the the pressure changes with the inflammation it's just going to cause issues on his knee um so i don't know if maybe the leg injury is more severe than they're making it out to be and from his camp they're potentially like we don't want this to be publicized so we don't want like people to see him in a boot or not being able to stand up or like like what would the optics be if everybody's in a huddle and he can't stand up to go talk to the team and he's just sitting at the bench, but like away from the team and not like walking over. I feel like he'd get roasted even harder for that, but realistically it might be that he can't walk. So I don't know if that's part of it. Um, I don't know if it is because he's so reclusive that he doesn't like to participate in the huddles. I can't really see that being the thing. Um, so I, I think overall people are obviously going to have opinions and I think they're reading more into it than potentially for what it is, but I think it's more so the potential risk for further injury by somebody accidentally kicking it or falling on it, um, or it being more severe than it actually is uh, currently labeled by everybody, um, and him uh, not not wanting to show that on camera. Um, or I've also read that maybe he's pissed off at the medical staff of the Clippers. And so maybe exactly it, <laughs> but we're going to go into that in a little bit, but um, that's, that's literally what I've been hearing too. But we'll definitely get into that in a little bit on what's the verdict, but um, enough about the Clippers. Let's talk a little bit more about the young stars taking over the league. It seems that out of the four remaining teams, three of them are being led by a star that's either 26 years or younger. Has the transfer of power finally happened? Has the old guard finally transferred to the new? Or is this just a product of injuries and these are the guys who are left? I think it's a product of injuries. I think um, LeBron probably gets further next year with AD being healthy, if he is healthy and assuming they get better talent around them. I think that 
the Warriors get further next year if Clay Thompson uh, is healthy for the full season. Um, I think that the the Trailblazers potentially with the new coach, as well as uh, some new pieces around them, could get better as well. So I think you're seeing it happen right now, but I still think it's going to take another like couple of years before you can truly say like this is the the old guard to the new guard because like where do you put Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Kawhi on that because they're right now like around 30 to 32 um so i still see those te- <clears throat> those teams being in contention and winning championships over the Trey Youngs and Lucas of the world at least for the next couple of years yeah, I, I think it's um, a little bit of both. Obviously, I've been a strong proponent of the saying availability is one of the greatest skills. Being available and being healthy is not just like plain luck. That in and of itself is an attribute and a skill slash talent that has to be cultivated through hard work and also good genetics. But I think that we can all agree that the younger stars obviously are going to have a better ability to play through injury, to remain healthy and to recover than older players. So it's not just so much that a ton of players got injured this season simply because, Hey, the, the older guys had bad luck. It's also the fact that the reason they probably got injured is because they are older because playing these games in a more condensed schedule and having less rest is probably something that a younger body is better able to tolerate than an older body. Obviously next season, it's not going to be as short of a turnaround as the one that just passed, but it's still going to be a short turnaround. Nonetheless, a little bit shorter than what they're used to. And all these players are still going to be another year older. And I think that, like you mentioned, there's still going to be a couple of teams out there that are going to be led by stars that are in their, early to mid thirties, like the Nets with Kevin Durant, Um, Stephen Curry and the Warriors figure to be a better team next season. But I do think that largely most, I would bet on it that most of the playoff teams in the next year's playoffs, the majority will be led by stars 26 or younger, because I really do think that the changing of the guard has happened. I think that there's only a minority of players now that are in their thirties that are still playing at a star level consistently every night. There's probably like 10. So I really do think that we're starting to see the transition, but the league is in really good hands. Um, I think that we've discussed this on a different podcast. Which young star would you want to build your franchise with? But obviously, we probably agree on a player that's not really in the field right now. So to make this more interesting, which young star, 26 or younger, who is currently still in the playoffs, would you choose to build your franchise with for the next decade? It's tough. Wouldn't be Booker. It's really coming down to Giannis and Trey for me. Um, what about the 70 points, man? 70 point Booker? Yeah. Nah, Booker, Booker hasn't done enough for me defensively to say that I would I would pick him um I I would still have to give it to Giannis over Trey right now um I know his free throws would drive me nuts as 
it drives me nuts as a casual fan. Um, and I could see how it would drive other teams nuts, but, um, I, I think if he gets better, uh, from the free throw line and continues to, uh, get better from three, um, he's going to be like a, a bigger LeBron James. So if he continues to develop his offensive skill set, his passing ability, he won't be the passer that LeBron is, but LeBron can't bruise people the way that Giannis does. Um, I, I still think Giannis would be the right person to build around. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Um, I just see him as the least flawed of the others. Obviously, Devin Booker at six foot five, six foot six has decent size. So it's not like he should be a defensive liability for his whole career. It's not like they should be exploiting him just straight up based off his size the way they do with some of these other guys. But you're right, to this point, he hasn't really shown the desire or the fire, I guess, or maybe the IQ on defense to be a plus defender. He's like average. But he's not really going to be the kind of guy I don't think that ever projects as a game changer on defense. So he's going to be always missing that aspect. He's come a long way as developing as a playmaker. Obviously, as a scorer, he's very advanced. You can't really ask much more of his offensive game. He's very great there. But um, I can still see how there's room for growth. Trey Young, the youngest of all three of them, has already the highest point total, single point total in the playoffs of any of these guys. But I think that he's always going to be a problem on defense with his severe lack of size. Teams are always going to try to exploit that on the other end. And I wouldn't want to have my guy for the next 10 years be a guy that I always have to worry about. All right, they're going to try to always put him in pick and roll. They're always going to try to post him up. They're always going to try to abuse him on defense because they know he can't physically keep up. You know, that's going to be a thing with Trey for his whole career. He's not going to get bigger or stronger. So I would definitely choose Giannis also. His free throw shooting is obviously very, very frustrating how long it takes for him to shoot that low of a percentage. But um, I think that he would be the easiest person to build a roster around. He would fit on pretty much any roster surrounded by a good shooting. He would fit. He's an elite defensive player, even though a lot of people gave him crap for not defending Anthony Davis in the playoffs. That's not really on him as much as Mike Budenholzer for not wanting to change up his defensive game plan. And also to their credit, they did advance in that series. So, I mean, it did work. Or I mean, uh, Kevin Durant, not Anthony Davis. But um, point being, he's the least flawed of all these players. And I think probably makes the most of an impact on both ends of the floor and needs the least amount of improvement in any one area to really reach an elite, elite level that maybe only a handful of guys in the history of the league have ever gotten to. Yep. I agree. But speaking of the bucks, uh, they came out on top yesterday behind Chris's 38 points and uh, they came from behind Atlanta was really leading the whole game. Uh, even after Trey got injured in the game, after stepping on a ref, uh, they were still leading, but the bucks closed out the game. So what do you think Atlanta's chances are of pulling the upset? Well, I mean, I already said originally that I didn't think that this was going to be their series. I think that they're obviously going to be able to win another game, but I'm calling this one at four, two. That's what I just feel in my gut is going to end up playing out for this series. The bucks just have another gear 
that the Hawks can't reach because the Bucks have two guys that can at any point potentially take over a game and go off on a run and score 15, 20 points in one quarter by themselves. The Hawks really only have one guy that actually can really do that. Um, and they, they completely rely on the three-point shot falling. I said this originally, too, that the Hawks are a team that probably more so than any other team remaining in the playoffs really, really do rely on that three-point shot falling. And Trey Young, I know that he can knock down that 30-plus footer on occasion, but if you're relying on Trey Young consistently knocking down 30 footers to win four games in a series, I don't think you're going to get it. I mean, those are shots that you can hit every now and then to – to take the momentum away from the other team, timely shots, but they're not going to be there consistently on a possession to possession basis. I think that the Bucks can consistently get better looks. The Hawks consistently have to take tougher shots and make tougher shots to stay in these games. Um, and obviously defensively, the Bucks are obviously the better defensive team. So um, I think that this series is going to be a four, two series for the Bucks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Atlanta will steal the next game, or not even steal, but just take the next game at home, go 2-2, and then I see the Bucks closing them out overall. But moving on to some front office news, the Utah Jazz, this was kind of expected, but Dennis Lindsay moves to more of an advisory role, leaving an opportunity now to bring in a president of basketball operations. Uh, you heard rumblings that Dwayne Wade was saying that there needed to be some front office changes before Utah was even eliminated from the playoffs. So what do you think the uh, number one seed has in store uh, for, or who rather do you think is the right fit for Utah moving forward in this role? Utah seems to be going in a very fresh new direction. Um, Dwayne Wade becoming a very vocal part of their um, organization now. They have Donovan Mitchell, a young star, another one of those 26 or under young stars who's a young pillar to build around. And they're trying to change it up a little bit, but I think that they could probably benefit from somebody who has proven success with team building and acquiring pieces and talent. Because let's be real, the Jazz probably aren't an organization being located in Utah that's just going to attracts free agent talent based off location alone. They're a little bit of a smaller market team. Um, and they've honestly, I think, been poorly constructed for a little bit. I was a big proponent of saying that Rudy Gobert should not have gotten paid that contract. I didn't think that he was worth all that money. They clearly felt the pressure to hand him that contract because they had no confidence that they could get another all-star on that roster any other way and instead overpaid for Rudy Gobert and probably locked him in, locked themselves into a situation where now your second best player is probably not going to be at a level where your team can win a championship as currently constructed. I think Danny Ainge is somebody who has seen all kinds of situations, taken over rosters with all different kinds of outlooks and been able to flip them in short periods of time. He's been able to acquire draft capital. He's been able to sign big free agents. He's been able to trade for big names. He's shown that he can do it in every aspect. So I think that Danny Ainge has to be on the top of any GM searching list for any team. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's him. 
Yeah, he's a name that I think everybody is going to immediately jump to because of what you just talked about. Somebody with experience, but somebody who's not afraid to shake things up. I don't think that he gets rid of Gobert in the first year, though. I think that he will try to retool around their current pieces, but I think he is somebody who uh, continued to be innovative and, and um, like always had the Celtics in a winning position, regardless of uh, the talent around them. But somebody else who I'm thinking of, uh, too, that is in his contract year is uh, Masai Ujiri from the Raptors. Um, there have been so many talks about him potentially moving on or staying with the Raptors. And it really will depend on where the Raptors want to go in the future. If they do want to uh, have a passing of the guard with uh, Masai leaving as well as Kyle Lowry and some other uh, individuals on that team, or if they're going to want to try and uh, run it back and, and get somebody over there. So I think he's another name to look out for that could potentially help the Utah jazz um, because he clearly has uh, done well with small market team in Toronto um, and can do well with some good pieces over there in Utah. Yeah. I thought that that name was interesting too. The only thing with Masai is he is the president of basketball operations for the Raptors. That's what, has, the, that's what the, the position is with the jazz. That's what this guy left. Okay. So it's not just a general manager role. Cause I was about to mm -hmm. say, I don't know that he would take a lesser role. But if it's president for president role, you have to imagine that the Jazz opportunity would be more lucrative than the current construction of the Raptors team. So that's a really good pick. But moving on to what's the verdict, I have a couple of questions for you. You let me know if you think that they're guilty or not. But basically, talking about this Bucks series, a lot of people have been looking at it and finally noticing that Chris Middleton is actually a really good player. Um, it seems like for the longest time, he's what? been on no one's radar, but people are finally starting to notice he's actually Chris? kind of good. So, yeah, I know. Crazy, right? He's actually a solid player. But Chris Middleton, not just last night, but has consistently shown up in the fourth quarter to hit the big and timely shots. We saw it in the Nets series. We're seeing it again now to the point where some are wondering, I mean, in the really big games where it's close and it's the fourth quarter, you see that the offense changes and actually starts running through Chris Middleton and they just start feeding him the ball. People catch the ball and they're like, where's Chris? They just dump it off to him because he's really the only guy that they have that is an actual threat to score it from all three levels. He actually is the perfect – I think that Chris, Chris Middleton is probably your B-plus everything guy. He's not, like, exceptional at any one thing, but he's, like, B-plus at everything for his position. Like, he is your prototypical B-plus small forward guy, but he's been extremely clutch and timely. He's been the guy that they've been turning to to close out teams in the end, and he's now starting to look more like the Batman is Giannis guilty of actually being Robin and not Batman when it comes to the Bucks? Maybe he is guilty of that from like an offensive standpoint. Um, but overall, like you could say when the Lakers were playing with Kobe and Shaq, that Shaq was at that time a better player than Kobe. But who did you want taking the final shot? Kobe. Um, so I don't think that it's, uh, bad to say necessarily that there is somebody on the team 
that you'd rather take that shot in the closing seconds than your best player on the court. Um, so I think in those scenarios, then yeah, it potentially is uh, Batman to Robin with uh, Giannis being Robin. But from an overall standpoint, Giannis is still a dominant player, a more dominant player. Giannis, I think, still has a higher ceiling and is a better overall player than Chris Middleton on both ends of the floor. But in the waning seconds of the game, you probably do want to have Chris Middleton taking those shots. Yeah, I agree. I don't really think it's a bad thing for the Bucks right now, especially because Giannis doesn't seem to mind or have a problem with it. He's one of those unselfish superstars that truly does believe in the as long as we win, I'm happy mantra. He doesn't care how it happens. So that's one thing that's very fortunate for their situation. He's not the star that is going to be causing problems because he's not getting enough touches late game or any of that. He's able to accept the fact that he knows that Chris Middleton is a better shooter than he is. And sometimes when the defense is giving you a certain look, that's what you got to go to. But luckily for them, they have a situation where they have a guy like that so um, it's a lot better than having to deal with Giannis trying to force it when we know that he's not really a knockdown shooter. Yeah, Giannis doesn't have that like diva ego that you see with other stars. And you hear the story of when he first signed his first contract that uh, he sent all the money back to Greece for his family and didn't have anything for the bus ride to the stadium the next day. And that's the type of player you're dealing with. So you really think this guy's going to care about somebody taking the final shot of the game? Like he's, I think, so beyond that from like an egotistical standpoint or like who needs to do what. He just cares about like camaraderie, teamship, uh, sportsmanship, being a team and, and winning the game. So, yep. I mean, some people even get annoyed about it because of the way that he so predictably answers his interview questions. But I think the person that's who he is. is, that's just who he is, though. Like he is literally the the prototypical team first camaraderie guy, like completely unselfish, always says the right things, never throws a teammate under the bus, follows the game plan, does what the coach says. He is the exact prototypical model of what I guess personality wise you'd want, but I guess that pisses some people off, but moving on to someone who is a little bit more enigmatic Kawhi Leonard is sitting out a possible elimination game, despite the Clippers medical team saying that it is a knee sprain, um, which you could otherwise play with is Kawhi guilty of not being able to play through discomfort the way many greats have. Um, Honestly, I, I think he's innocent in this regard because you don't know, like you could look at a scan, you could look at uh, some swelling as a, a doctor and go, yeah, I think you can play on this. But if the person's not comfortable playing on it, like look at Isaiah Thomas and look at DeMarcus Cousins. Um, and like, yes, Kevin Durant came back, you know, stronger from this uh, Achilles injury, but he was dealing with a calf strain and likely shouldn't have played in that Golden State game. He wanted to, and so that was his choice. But you have these situations where Isaiah Thomas, yeah, the medical team cleared you to play on this hip injury. That hip injury has cost him nine figures of salary that he probably could have gotten if he would have just sat out and then come gotten surgery and came back to play the next season. DeMarcus Cousins, um, he gets injured, goes down, 
isn't able to get a max contract and has just he luckily got onto the Clippers after signing two 10-day contracts like if he goes in with a knee sprain after this team says hey uh we think you can play he tears his ACL he's out for a year and then comes back and then I think that'd be his final year because this is his uh player option year and then the Clippers say "Mm, you know what you didn't give us the production we thought you were going to give so we're cutting ties with you like let's say Kawhi is just a shell of himself then he just risked his bag, his next bag, his final contract. So I, I am completely a player's advocate here. I do not think that it is worth um, potentially injuring yourself further if you don't feel comfortable playing on it. You saw Derek Rose do this when he tore uh, his knee several times that it, he needed to get right mentally before he could step back out onto the floor. And I think if he would have rushed it and gone too soon, we wouldn't have Derek Rhodes in the league anymore. And he's been doing extremely well uh, with Detroit, Minnesota, and now New York. So I think um, you have to listen to your body and you can't listen to what necessarily a, a medical team uh, says based off of some scan that they're reading. Yeah, I have to agree with you on this one. Not to mention Kawhi Leonard already has the lingering mental trauma, I guess, of having his quad rupture. And I think that if you're the Clippers, you got to be really careful with how you approach the situation because it seems pretty much like the exact thing that happened with him in the Spurs where he felt like the injury was a lot more serious than what the Spurs medical team was saying. And um, the Spurs, obviously, we know how that went. The Spurs would go out in interviews and basically throw him under the bus and say, we don't know. We our team cleared him to play. He doesn't think that he can. We don't know when he's coming back. Basically, the way that they um, treated the situation made Kawhi feel like they didn't believe in his work ethic because in his mind, he's like, if I could play, I would be playing. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to take plays off. And you guys are here questioning whether I want to play or not because you guys think that I'm lying about the, the extent of an injury. So I know that this is a, a very crucial time. It's an elimination game. You obviously want to see him out there. And a lot of other players, like at James Harden, have come back early from injuries that have been nagging to try to play in situations like that. But if you're not going to be able to play well because you don't feel comfortable and you're just going to risk the, risk the injury to become more serious, and like you mentioned, the timing of this seriously affect what your earnings could be in your next contract because of the timing, then I totally understand why he doesn't feel comfortable playing for right now. But um, moving on to the next one, the NBA playoffs have the highest ratings since 2002, despite not featuring Stephen Curry or LeBron James, which have been featured in a finals, in every single finals since 2010, at least one of them. So um, is the public guilty of finally being over LeBron and Steph? Yeah, probably. I think that is an aspect of it. I also think that combined with these are four teams that uh, either haven't won a championship or have not won a championship in a very long time. So you're getting these markets or at least like the uh, close affiliated markets to be excited about that. Overall, you have the passing of the guards. So maybe you have more casual NBA fans who um, like weren't as tuned into basketball, but maybe they really like Trey young or they really like Giannis. And finally they're breaking uh, the like, into the conference finals. Um, So 
I think you're getting some more casual NBA fans who are tuning in because their players are finally into it. I think you're getting those markets and affiliated markets getting into it. And then I also think, yeah, there was probably a, an exhaustion overall um, of people seeing the same teams or the same people in there over and over and over again. Um, and then also like you, you, have uh, basketball with fuller arenas now so the thrill of having the fans there is back versus last year of just having like basically the theatrics of having the fans on screen and just you know big graphics overall so I think there are a lot of components but it's good to see that the league is uh, has higher ratings now. Yeah no I definitely agree I personally have really enjoyed watching these playoffs I think that, um, like you mentioned, there was definitely fatigue from seeing the Warriors and LeBron's teams, whichever one he's been on, constantly be in there over and over again. It obviously makes you, as a casual fan, maybe from a smaller market, feel like maybe you're frozen out a little bit if you feel like there's not really a chance for your team to compete because all the talent is collected on these one or two super teams. I think that teams this year, at least the ones that are remaining in the finals, there's not really anyone that you can say is a super team remaining, which makes things a little more interesting, I think, because there's that sense of unpredictability. You don't know who could potentially win because it's a lot more balanced. It could really go either way. I think that makes it more exciting for more people to want to watch it. And then there's also a couple of other factors. I think number one, um, I think a lot of casual fans probably generally disliked the fact that the Warriors had this super team. They had this collection of talent that honestly made it really difficult to compete with. If you're any other team in the league, they, they just had head and shoulders way more talent than anyone else for most of those seasons, minus the ones where injuries blew them out. And then same with LeBron, every LeBron team with three all-stars. Um, I think that these playoffs have seemed a lot more pure, a lot more exciting about the game of basketball and I think that there's been just more emphasis on the game of basketball. There's been even less flopping. I'm not going to say it's all LeBron's fault, but um, there's been a lot less arguing with refs, a lot less diving on the floor. It's been more pure, the basketball. So I think it's been really fun to watch. And definitely, like you mentioned, some teams getting in there for the first time, um, getting their first chance to compete, letting other fans around the country know, hey, this team could be you. Like, it's not always going to be only the big market teams that make it here. Potentially other teams can make it now. There's a lot of young stars out there and the established order is changing, which I think is always exciting. But um, I think that's all we've got for today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in court of opinion. Please follow us on Twitter. Um, add us on all your favorite podcast formats and feel free to send us any opinions you have, anything you disagree with. We'd love to have you featured on a segment coming soon. I'm Mike Stir. And I'm Eric Gonzalez. Court is adjourned.